Welcome to Savvy, Booked, and Blessed, a podcast for bold female leaders making bold moves. I'm your host, Devin A. Thaxton, founder and CEO of Pro Savvy Strategic Performance Agency. Stick around to the end of the show and we'll reveal how you can be our next guest. Let's get started. Welcome back to Savvy, Booked, and Blessed. In today's episode, I am happy to introduce founder, CEO, and head business coach of SistaBiz Global Network, Makisha Booth. SistaBiz Global Network is a business accelerator for Black women entrepreneurs. Makisha and her team help Black women, solopreneurs, and micro businesses build scalable and sellable businesses. Makisha's accolades include being honored by the Colorado Black Chamber of Commerce with the Clara Brown Award, being named the Aurora Chamber of Commerce Women in Business Unsung Hero, and being the recipient of the U.S. Small Business Administration Young Entrepreneur of the Year Award for Region and State of Colorado in 2007. Makisha has worked in politics and education reform on the national, state, and local levels to pass landmark innovation and choice legislation. He also served as the senior advisor to the Colorado State Senate president. As a rapid improvement coach, Makisha helps small businesses rethink their revenue strategies, brands, systems, resource allocation, and human capital strategies. Hi, Makisha. Hi, Devine. Great to chat with you. Also, read all of the amazing things that you're doing. I love excited to be to here. Thanks to know all the things. <laughs> I would love to know more as a member of Sister Biz, which if you are not, you should be for any Black solopreneurs and Black women, Black owners out there. Tell us a little bit about your journey to where you're at now. Yeah. So when you say my journey, you mean for sister biz or just larger than that or larger than that? Give us the journey. Oh, okay. All right. Uh, you want the journey journey. I want the journey, uh, honey. You want the Harriet Tubman journey. Okay. All right. Yeah. I was born and raised in Harlem, New York city and moved to Colorado and I was in high school. And so I've been in Colorado for over 25 years. And my first kind of, there were a few kind of pit stops on my journey and scenarios in my journey that kind of led to what Sister Biz does today. So I'll focus from there. The first is that I have a degree in poli-sci and I did some work in the state capital for several years, ed reform policy, small business policy, those sorts of things, and have done a lot of work in communities of color around closing equity gaps on a variety of fronts because as we typically see disparities across all the topics Mm -hmm. for our people. And that really ties to really what my life's work is about, which is equity, advocacy, and justice. And and all roads lead back to that kind of core focus. But then I moved on from the Capitol to work in Denver Public Schools. And in that work, I trained school leadership teams on entrepreneurial skills and helped them build out their first innovation lab. During that time, I was formally trained in adult learning, curriculum design, that sort of thing. And, and so really, that's where I began to really harness my training, coaching, and curriculum design love for that work in adult learning specifically. And then And I left, actually back up before I did that work, I ran a day spa in Cherry Creek North in Colorado, and I also worked for the SBA. So that's where my love for small business kind of came in. So I was a little all over the place in my career, 
But all three of those elements really lead to what I do in Sister Biz, equity, advocacy, justice work in terms of entrepreneurship and economic development and economic justice, and then small business loving entrepreneurship and small business, and then curriculum design, adult learning is how I turned into a coach and a trainer and built programming for the women in our community that we use and leverage today. So all of that came to a head after I left DPS, started my own consulting firm and had success there and started getting calls from women who wanted to do the same thing, had experienced workplace trauma, was experiencing all of the inequities in the workplace and in pay and in economic success. And so they wanted to venture out and entrepreneurship was their escape route or plan. But they weren't seeing success in terms of revenues and growth. And got a few calls from a few women. It just started off pretty organically. Hey, can we have lunch? We get to lunch. And this girl, I need your help. I'm Mm -hmm. going through a lot. I've either just left this job or I need to leave this job. And this business isn't doing what I thought it would do. Or I don't even know where to get started. And can you help me? And it started right in my home office where I'm at now prior to the pandemic and grew from three women to 10 women to 100 women to a national scope and grew from just coaching to group coaching to group trainings to us having more than one coach on staff, more than one trainer on staff to us building a membership program and launching a loan fund. Yeah, that's that's my story. I have a, a son who is in his junior year in, in college and He's working with the company right now. So I'm trying to show him what it looks like to to run a company and, and leverage entrepreneurship in your wealth building journey. Sure. Oh, I love all of it. When you mention equity and the lack of, what are some signs or maybe some ways to identify if you are a Black woman in a business or in a job and you're just like, this is not, doesn't feel right. <laughs> Maybe what are some things that you felt that were like, this is not okay. This is not fair, (laughs) lack of a better word. Like, what are some of those things that you were feeling when you're like, I got to get, I got to get out of here and do work to fight it? Yeah. So first, let me say when I experienced the things at first, I didn't know what they were really. Like I knew Mm -hmm. something was wrong, but I doubted myself and second guessed how unfair something was or not, or if I was really experiencing what I thought I experienced, because I didn't have a ton of of knowledge in, in that space. And then I got a mentor. Her name was Dr. Darlene Sampson. And she was head of equity and cultural responsive training at the district. And we had a coffee and it was a game changing coffee for me because I told her what was happening. I'm like, am I crazy? And she's no. And just having another Black woman tell me that I'm not crazy. From my mental health, yeah, that was everything. Yeah. Then secondly, what she did was she proceeded to explain to me and help me. From that time on, I started to educate myself more on what microaggressions and micro assaults and micro insults look like. Mm. What does code switching look like and how does that drain you or take your energy and how does that impact you emotionally and mentally when you have to code switch in order to survive in a corporate environment or in a, a nine to five workspace? What does it look like to engage in invisible labor, which means that you are doing the work of helping the organization improve in some way, in a way that they don't even acknowledge. And for Black women, it's often you're the Black token person who is responsible for the equity work or mm. responsible for the Black children in the school or responsible for 
And you don't get paid for that, doesn't right. get acknowledged as labor, doesn't come up in your evaluations, that's invisible labor. And so all these concepts had names to go with them. And I didn't even know that. And I was like, yeah. oh, my goodness, I'm experiencing all these things. And it's breaking me down day by day. It's, it's insidious in the way that it just, just breaks you down. You don't even one day you wake up and you gain weight, you're unhappy. And so you don't even see it coming. It can be very sometimes it can be very insidious. It's not always just boom, something happens and and it impacts your wellness, your health, your joy, your ability to show up in places after you move on from that space in a whole way and in a healthy way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Are there any ways some of those microaggressions and all the things that you mentioned still show up for you. The reason I ask this is I'm a couple years out of corporate and I recently had a moment when I went to the nail salon and I decided to do like neon, like pink and yellow nails. And I had a moment where I was like, I can't do that. That's too loud or too busy or too much. And with the quickness, I was like, I'll get the nails. and I'm going to be as bright and bold. And so just finding ways that Mm, some of that behavior still shows up. Are there any ways that you see that in your space now? Yeah. 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 All the time. What you just said, it reminds me of how, when you see my black women entrepreneurs building their business and they don't want to be told how to do it or to do it the traditional way. Cause for once they own something and they have creative autonomy and control. Yeah. Over it, so They don't want that. Sometimes it's not helpful. Sometimes yeah. you're killing your business. Cause even though it's your business, you're still in a white led economy. And so sometimes it's a struggle to make those decisions. And as an yeah. entrepreneur, even we're not fully free, you know what right. I mean? Even True. though we're entrepreneurs, yeah. but yeah, I do see us finding ways to liberate ourselves in, mm. in, in the workplace or in entrepreneurship or beyond. And I do feel like it comes in the form of PTSD type triggers. Something happens and it just kind of, we all handle it differently. But I think, yeah, I've absolutely had situations that have happened after that trigger what I went through in that environment. And I'm still working on it. And I thought that with it being like five, six years ago that it was over. But this past year, and especially since George Floyd, a lot of instances have come up where I've had interactions with the white community, white friends, white colleagues, white allies, or people just in business that let me know, like, you still have healing work to do. And Mm. it's probably not going to happen and just be done one day. My good friend says, and she's a sister board member and also a therapist. And she says healing happens in layers. Mm. Yeah, I I think that absolutely. I see it in myself, but I also see it with my clients. I can always tell when there's a trigger. So I'm, and which is why I think it's so important to have Black women coaches. Yeah. I understand a lot more about response, certain responses to not wanting to take out a loan or feeling some type of way about somebody controlling your creative autonomy of your brand and those sorts of things than someone who has an experience that has and doesn't have a culturally, isn't culturally competent in that way. Yeah, absolutely. You went from, if I got the journey correctly, from consulting to coaching to, and they all bleed in together, I'm assuming, but like consulting to coaching to to Sistabiz, like how was that transition? Was it just it happened and you were like, all right, I guess we're here, better <laughs> make claim of some of this work, or was it 
more strategic? So I'm definitely a strategic person. I'm a planner. I'm super conscious, especially in matters of business design. And so I don't really just let things fall into my lap. That said, it has been relatively organic in the moves, but but I'm a conscious of the phases and I am trying to examine them, analyze them and use them to pivot or to keep moving in a certain direction. So I say all that to say from consulting to coaching wasn't really a transition technically, because when I started coaching, the women I started coaching weren't paying for services. I was still consulting sure. and I was just, oh, they need my help. But then like when 10 people need your help and then when 15 people need your help, you're like, oh, somebody <laughs> got to pay me around here. <laughs> and so that's when it became like, how am I going to do this? What is the business model going to look like? And based on the people I'm serving, it needs to be non because they don't, they're not able to, they're not resourced themselves, much less pouring those types of resources into VIP market rate coaching. Right. And launched a nonprofit and moved in that direction. And the, there was a night though, when there was a choice made and it was me on the fence between making that decision and just sitting with it for a few days. Should I go in this route? Because will I be able to eat and will it be heartbreaking work? Because I feel like DPS was heartbreaking work. The mm-hmm. things that were going on with the kids and the achievement gap, yeah. and it, it was really tough work for me. Um, And so I was thinking about all those things. Do I want to move in that direction in that way? And one night, God just gave me a vision of what Sister Biz would look like. And I had a, I was graphic, I was a graphic designer at the time. So I had a big wall that I would draw and do stuff on it. And it was like 9 p.m. And I just started writing down the programs that you guys are all a part of today. Four years ago, I knew I was going to be in Texas. And it was like, these are the cities you're going to be in. This is the programs. These are the number of women you're going to help. And I just writing it. And I look up and it's three in the morning. Like I was just writing. I was just going crazy from one side of the wall to the other side of the wall. And when I saw that, first of all, I look a little bit like a mad woman by that point. (laughs) In my pajamas, like your own home, just going at it. I took a little pause here and there to take a drink of wine, but then I go. And I was like, oh my God, look at how late it is. And I was so inspired and so spiritually filled in that moment. And I knew I had to go for it. And that's how I started Sister Biz. Yeah. Yeah. Since you've started to where it is now, tell us a little bit of the evolution of maybe programs to where it's at now and how that's fluctuated. Yeah. The nonprofit program started in the form of me just coaching women and then turning it into group coaching curriculum and group training. And so that's where the boot camps came in that I do. Then in those boot camps, usually it started off where it used to be like 30, 40 women in the boot camps. Like mm. this last boot camp, we had 90 or something. Awesome. And so when I would ask women in the early boot camps, like how many of you have access to capital, like actually have startup funding and one or two women always, if mm. anybody would raise their hand. And so we launched a cohort where we picked nine women. And I'm like, I just want to go deep, nine to 10 women. I want to go deep with these women for nine months to get them ready to access capital, to grow their business, to build systems and to really reinvest um, or invest in them in the business makeover style with coaching, cohort sessions, all the things. So we created that. When we did that work and started to send those folks out to get loans afterwards, they still weren't accessing loans. We all know the disparities. Yeah, yeah. Pandemic's not here yet. Banks are looking at me like, I don't know what to tell you. We launched a system as loan fund and we raised about 800K for that. And those things are the elements. And then the pandemic came a month later. 
right mm-hmm. after we raised the money for the loan fund. And then we launched the grant fund, the Unstoppable Grant Program, where we gave out relief funding and recovery funding for a couple years to women. Mm-hmm. And so all of that is nonprofit work. We then launched our membership program, or we had just started playing with the membership program by then, I think. And so the membership program has turned into our for-profit venture. Our mobile app is coming with it and launching soon in a couple, in a few weeks here. And the, the for-profit is a three-tiered membership, a mobile app experience where we do master classes and have a digital library and you have access to a funding board and you're part of work groups, leads groups, book studies, all that sort of thing. And we tested out this environment in an online pl- platform last year, which if it had a face, I would punch it because it was really like our beta and it I wasn't super happy with the performance of it, but it was a good way to test out what that feels like. And now right. we're having mobile app be the official relaunch, fixing all the glitches that were in the online platform. And so we're super excited about that. Where we're headed is I'm trying to hire and build a larger network of Black women coaches. I'm trying to recruit and onboard more service providers like virtual assistants or photographers or brand developers or attorneys and accountants, service providers who provide services to businesses to be a part of our official vetted service provider network. All that stuff's going to be launching. The coaches will have a coaches academy in the fall. The service providers will be vetted and go through a boot camp in the fall. And the goal is to get us to where we have 25 coaches and 150 service providers and women buy from each other. And then we also refer business to them from within and outside of the network. Yeah. With all of that, which sounds like a lot in a great and awesome way, what does your day-to-day look like for you as a leader? (laughs) (laughs) That's hilarious. Oh boy. Okay. So first, let me say my favorite days are Tuesday and Wednesday because all day I coach Black women. And uh, individual coaching and my group coaching. So those are my funnest days and I fight fiercely to protect them. People be trying Mm. to slip there and I'm like, nah. So those, that's what Tuesday and Wednesday looks like. And I will always want to keep at least one day of coaching, but as the coaching network grows, I'll move less, I'll move more into the role of coaching coaches and training coaches than anything. But right now on Tuesdays and on um, Mondays, I meet in one-to-ones with my team all day. And so we're going through performance and updates and progress reports and authorizations that they need from me and demos of work products that they want to share with me. And then on Thursday and Friday, oh goodness, I'm on interviews mm-hmm. like the funders, raising money, writing grants, you name it. It happens on Thursday and Friday. Thursdays and Friday are nuts. Yeah. Are a little bit crazy. Yeah. What are some of your favorite stories or success moments from coaching or even entrepreneurs in the network that still stick with you? There's so many. I love what I do. I love the women I work with. I love our community of women. There's so many, but the favorites that come in almost weekly or when I get a text almost weekly, it's very rare that I get a week that I don't get at least one text from sure. somebody sharing a success. Well, so for instance, the one I got last was yesterday where two of our members got funded by Goldman Sachs, the new big program $10 million distribution of funds that they did. They chose to leave somewhere in the neighborhood of 30 people. And Goldman Sachs was amazing. um, Chose two of our ladies. Both of those ladies, I had a hand in the build out of their business. And and so it just felt so good to watch them succeed. 
And then whenever a woman calls and says something like, I got the loan, I won the pitch competition, I crossed the six-figure mark. That's the one that I love when people are like, I met my ma- I met my magic numbers. I crossed yeah. the goal that we set for me. And, and so we have women who have gone from 30K to or 60K to 250K and 500K mm-hmm. and a couple of women who have crossed the seven-figure line. And, and so that is, it's, it's just exciting when they text me and they're so happy. Yeah. And they're accomplished and they just, you can tell there's just this feeling and remembering. I usually, in most cases, I remember them when they first started with me to that text. And so I do that little journey of, I remember when she didn't think she could do it. I remember when Mm. she was crying, like one person sent me a text and said, I want you to know that today I'm at the dentist with my daughter and I paid in full. And the reason why that was important was because when she first decided to leave her nine to five, she was afraid she wouldn't be able to afford health care for her children. That was her number one concern. Mm -hmm. She was like, I paid it with no problem. Health care is no problem for me. And I have crossed the six figure mark. I'm at a quarter of a million dollars a year. And it's because of you. And I just wanted to tell you first. And I love when they say that too. They always say, I wanted to tell you first. Some of them say, I wanted to tell my husband and you, but they make a point too. I love hearing that. And what a blessing for you in that rain man night where you're writing all the things on the wall to say yes to what the Lord brought to you and all the ideas and all those things. And here you are today, literally changing lives and being a vessel for that. And so what a blessing (laughs) to be able to witness and be a part of that. And I'm personally thankful and I know others are thankful, but it's really something, man, when you're working and you're gifting, when you're, it's hard and it's exhausting, you just gave us a peak of your week. But when you're doing what you're supposed to be doing. Yeah. Obedience. Yep. Obedience is rewarding. A lot of times I think it's very scary to he- to see, hear, feel what you're supposed to be embarking on. It usually takes courage if it really is your purpose. And But when you lean into obedience, it's hard, but it still has, its, it, it feels so, It's you feel full, you feel yeah. content or, yeah, I would say that, Fuf- yeah. fulfilled. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Moving into our speed round where we get to learn just a little bit more about you. These are just silly questions just to learn a little bit. Yeah. A little bit more about you. Okay. What is your favorite way to take care of yourself, mind, body, and soul? Hands down spa massage. I love that. Are you like, do you like to do Swedish massage? Do you like so I had this new thing where I like feed tissue because I want to get all okay. that stuff worked out, all that trigger point stuff done. But yeah. then, and I used to run a day spa. So that's right. another thing. I love yeah. spas. And so yeah. I have my person do the hard work that's ow, ow, ow. And Ooh. then I reserve like an additional like 15, 20 minutes for like just Swedish. Yeah. Softer, softer work. I love that. What <laughs> is one of your favorite quotes or mantras that you live by? that stick with you? Oh, goodness. What is one of my favorite quotes? What do I say a lot? I don't know. I'm trying to think of what I get teased about by the women in the network, but they, <laughs> what they quote me on a lot. And I guess for purposes of entrepreneurship, because I can't think of a life quote right now, mm-hmm. but what's something I guess I always say in analyzing customers and sales is I always say a confused mind does not buy. So really bringing clarity to your messaging, bringing clarity to your offer 
your sales page is your product page is critical. So I say that a lot. And the reason why it came to mind, because somebody quoted me on the page and was like, Coach Keisha says a confused mind just by. And I was like, I guess I do say that. <laughs> You're like, oh, that's really good. Whoever said that is very smart. <laughs> that's perfect. What is one of your guilty pleasures? Like reading or a TV show or an activity that you just get silly, but you love it guilty pleasures so the whenever I watch like reality shows or, or I had this new obsession with the Steve Harvey show I don't know why okay <laughs> but one of my one of my friends she she runs the dames the Denver dames and the mm-hmm. dames business and she always tells me Makisha you need to freaking laugh more so <laughs> I've been trying to find things on the internet and on tv that make me laugh at the end of the yeah. day and it turned into the Steve Harvey show it was Kevin Hart's what the fit before. Yeah. But I watched all of those and I guess I still need to laugh. So now it's Steve Harvey. <laughs> no, it's Steve Harvey. I do watch a lot of, I do see a lot of clips for that show. I don't think I've ever like sat and watched a whole episode, but people, the audience be tripping him up. <laughs> like his yeah, response yeah. to things are so funny. <laughs> yeah. It's hilarious. I think yeah. I'm doing the same thing too. Like I'm not watching the whole show. I'm just yeah. like on YouTube laughing at clips. And that's the yeah. best. If you had 10 hours back in your work week, how would you use that time? Ooh, how would I use that time if I had 10 extra hours? I want to say something like, oh, I would take some time to myself or read a book. And the truth is I just work more. Sure. Yeah. I just work more, maybe at a different level. What I'm trying to do is move to a place where I'm working way more on the business model that I'm trying to evolve toward than what I currently do right now. It would still be work. Or maybe I could use it because I could have one more coaching day with ladies that yeah, would have more time to coach. Yeah. yeah. 10 hours is a lot of time. And that that's a full day of coaching. That's a full day of coaching. <laughs> yes. That's a lot. Okay. Perfect. Okay. Last question. Okay. I just won the lottery and I have a plane ticket and I have $50,000 that I'm giving you. Where are you going and how are you using that money? Hey, okay. So I am going to probably definitely a beach, but which beach? Maybe like Puerto Rico. Nope. Nope. I'm going overseas. Yeah. Yeah. So we're going overseas. We're going to go to Greece. That's where we're going to go. I got to pick some place I haven't been. Yeah. Greece. And then $50,000 is just super shallow, but I'm going shopping. Perfect. Um, In Greece. Yeah. Yeah. You can do some damage. I guess I don't really know the conversion rates there, but I feel like that's still a lot of money. I, I feel like I can make that work. <laughs> yep. Where Get my walk. pretty woman on. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Just walk in, point, and leave. Like someone's following you with all the bags and uh, ideal. If someone is listening and they want to join the network or they want to work with you, how can they find you? Yep, we're at www.sista.biz. And so that's S-I-S-T-A-H dot biz. We're on Instagram, Twitter, and, and Facebook at Sista Biz. And then we're on LinkedIn as well. We have a YouTube channel where you can find cool tips. And if you want a free coaching session, we give away, we do hundreds of free coaching sessions every year. You get one, you can go online and sign up for one and coach with one of our coaches. Awesome. Perfect. Thank you so much for being on the show. It's so great chatting with you. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being in our network. And this is, this was really cool. It was. Thank you guys for listening. We'll see you on the next one. Thank you for listening.
listening to Savvy, Booked, and Blessed. If you are a successful six to seven figure female entrepreneur who would like to be on this program, please visit podcast.prosavvyas.com dash podcast slash yes. If you got something out of this interview, would you share this episode on social media? Just do a quick screenshot on your phone and text it to friend or post it on the socials. If you know of someone that would be a great guest, go ahead and tag them in social media and let them know about the show and include hashtag Savvy Book and Bless. I love seeing your posts and I love your guest We regularly put out new episodes of content. To make sure you don't miss out on any episodes, go ahead and subscribe. Give your thumbs up ratings and reviews. They definitely go a long way to help promote the show. It means a lot to me and my team. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.